Graham Roundtree has been announced as uh, the new coach of Munster Rugby. That was such a big momentum changer for me. The Red 78 with Alan Quillen and Neve Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. It's half past seven on this Wednesday morning. You're welcome along to OTBAM. It's Owen and Johnny Ward and Johnny's Toast with you all the way until 10 o'clock this morning. We'll get a sneak preview of that in just a moment. We'll have Mark Lawrence in with us after 8 o'clock to review last night's madness in the Champions League. Look ahead to Liverpool versus Villarreal. We'll have Matt Williams chatting rugby a little bit later on. And we're also remembering the work of art that is McCarthy's Park a little bit later on as well because why not? Why not remember one of the greatest Irish sports documentaries we've seen? A lot of this morning though is going to be spent on trying to pick through what happened at the Etihad last night. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the on the Champions League. You can tweet us at Off The Ball or you can comment on the YouTube stream if that's where you're getting us this morning. Nathan's also going to be with us for the morning. Nathan, how are you getting on? Morning, lads. A 10 out of 10 game last night? Oh yeah. Oh, this was as good as it gets. Outrageously good. One of those matches you have to watch back the highlights the following morning to remember how many good moments there were, how many brilliant goals there were. And it just seems to be every Tuesday, Wednesday night in the Champions League. It just gets better and better and better. There were no highlights is the thing. The entire first half was an entire highlights package. I watched the whole game at around 11 o'clock last night and I was like, okay, you can fast forward through the, the lulls here <laughs> in the game. And it's like, there literally are no lulls. It took until about, I think, 60 minutes for there to be that first passage of play where Manchester City do that thing where they control possession for a while. The ball goes from side to side. But for that, literally the first half, it was completely frantic in a way that from Real Madrid's perspective, you just wouldn't have expected. You would have you would have thought that there would have been some sort of way that they could have just put the brakes on the pace of the game a little bit. But they were happy to go and let this thing explode into madness as well. Well, from both sides, Real Madrid being the away team, but also Manchester City's style of play is often to just kill it and to dominate possession and to be incredibly patient. Whereas this felt like a big European night at a club with a massive European history where the energy becomes too much for the players and they just get swept up in the emotion of it. If Manchester City, coming away from that, will wonder how the tie is still alive. They should have scored seven, eight goals last night. They were, as an attacking force, as good as we have seen from them, maybe since Pep Guardiola came to the club. They just left it all out there. Like Kevin De Bruyne had possibly his best performance in a Manchester City jersey. It's been coming over the last few weeks. He has becoming more and more influential. The drive that he has, the strength that he has under pressure while dribbling with the ball, when there's one, two players on his back to hold them off, to still be able to lift his head and to pick out a pass. Phil Foden looks to be right at the top of his game. Uh, Riyad Mahrez, I can never understand how he isn't an automatic selection in that Manchester City side. So attacking-wise, City were just brilliant. And... I don't know how Real Madrid just hung on in there. You look back at that game, it doesn't feel like any Real Madrid player was exceptional, but they just never die. And we've seen it consistently during this year's tournament, through the history of the Champions League. They just find a way, and Luka Modric at crucial moments of the game, game without being at his very best, can pick out a pass, can ease a little bit of pressure. And then the just pure genius of Benzema to score the opening goal, which maybe unsettles Manchester City a little bit when I say that, but they came back straight away and it's good as good another couple. Uh, yeah, oh, it was. You just can't wait for the second leg. Yeah, it's going to be that, brilliant. That moment where uh, Nathan, where um, Mares is through a two nil and doesn't square for Foden, and Guardiola completely loses the plot. I think for me, it was just like you can tell how much this means to him. And even at two nil, he's like, "We need a third goal here." And 
you're thinking like two 0 up against Man City or against Real, they're fine. They'll be like they'll coast through this, and you could tell that he was. That maybe that's the reason he doesn't play Mares all the time. Like, why did you not square the ball to Foden? Well, for to hit it with his right foot as well is mm. probably completely unacceptable in the Manchester City culture, where you always have to take the right option. When he's bearing down a goal, you're, you're waiting for the pass because that's always what Manchester City do. But I think the stadium was, was so alive at that stage and Manchester City were so alive that, that he just felt, well, this is the moment. Everything is going right for us. And at that stage, I was a little bit disappointed in that, again, we built these matches up to be these stone-cold classics and thinking, City are going to win this 3 or 4 nil. Yeah, we might get a little bit of something next week with a sign of a Real Madrid comeback, but this isn't going to be one of those nights. And I'm still not quite sure, having watched it live and watched back the highlights, how it turned around. Because, say, Manchester City were just so good in in ways in a different style than we have seen them be so good. This was, I don't want to say it was almost like Manchester City playing like Liverpool in that it was more that sort of shock and awe style of real high pace and intensity and, and less control than you would expect from a, a Manchester City side, which... Uh, it does seem a lot of people spend a lot of time with their cameras on Pep Guardiola, even uh, supporters or journalists just planted there because there's dozens of videos of his reactions to every moment in the match. And listen, he's always uh, you know, he's always on edge, I think, during any game, a Carabao Cup game. But this is his legacy, though. This is his legacy. This is it. Like, they, they got to win the Champions League. They do... But like his legacy is sort of set in stone in, in many ways. In, in one Man of the greatest City, managers. City, but it would be yeah, an if, underachievement not to win a Champions League with this group of players who, mm. as a squad, the best in Europe, the most expensively assembled in Europe, they should be winning a Champions League. I do think that things can happen in knockout competitions where an offside decision, think back to the game against Spurs a couple of years ago where there's late goals disallowed and there's late winners. Things can happen that mean the best team doesn't necessarily always win the Champions League, but to go through a five, six-year spell and not win one uh, with this group of players, does it, it doesn't tarnish his legacy, but it, you know, it certainly doesn't enhance it. Mm. Speaking of cameras that have been trained on Pep Guardiola, we can have a look at what his reaction was to Fernandinho getting turned by Vinicius last night. This is fan footage from the Etihad last night. Keep your eyes on Pep. Hands in the head as soon as he gets turned. On his knees, on one knee. Hand on the ground as he sees Vinicius go through. Back of the net. Devastated. Fuming. I, I love how in the aftermath of the game, Pep is like, this is fine. Everything's absolutely grand. You know, Real Madrid, good team, good team. Like, Pep Guardiola almost oversaw, I think, an 8-2 last night. This could have been Bayern-Barcelona last night. And not too many things needed to go differently. Maybe not at that magnitude, but it could have been a 6-2 last night. I think Pep Guardiola is fuming this morning when he when he thinks back to some of those moments last night. Like some of them are unavoidable. If Fernandinho, which was his decision to put him on at right mm. back when John Stones goes off injured. Now, they obviously have problems with Cancelo suspended, uh, Kyle Walker not there. But you still wonder, you know, he'll often play Nathan Aki at left back. Could you play Nathan Aki at, at right back? Uh, because from the moment Fernandinho came on, you felt, there's a real opportunity for Real Madrid to get him here because how can he ever have the pace uh, that you would need to play in that position right now? But it could have been. This could have been one of... This could have been a landmark night for Manchester City. It could have been City's greatest ever performance. It might well have been City's greatest ever performance last night. But the result now doesn't reflect that. And with City's history in the tournament and of 
everything that could possibly go wrong, going wrong, whether it's a tactical selection or a referee's decision or just not performing on the night. With that history on one side and Real Madrid's history, both this season and historically, of just somehow always been able to get the job done, he, he must be incredibly nervous going to the Bernabeu next Wednesday night. I think part of the Fernandinho thing as well as he comes on and... Uh, he skins his man on the right inside, gets the assist mm. in front of the goals, and he's like, I can do this. Yeah. I'm, I'm 24 again. This is absolutely fine. Vinicius, I'm going to take you. I'm going to get the ball, and I'm going to do it again. I'm going to get down the right wing and get a second assist. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I, actually. I, the, how tight he was, just like, yeah, there's a lapse of judgment in terms of like where he is in life at the moment. But um, I mean, in, in <laughs> well, fairness... He's Bruce, Banner. he's Bruce Banner when he's defending. He's the Incredible Hulk when he was going forward. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in fairness, like, they should go over there and like their goal up. They should just basically manage that game and play, play the on the break no problems like in theory in theory but City don't generally play on the break like City's defined style is to have control and by giving up control of the game I'm sure the feeling would be that you allow Real Madrid more opportunities the problem with Madrid is just the genius that is there of Benzema being uh, right up there among the best players in the world certainly the most informed player in the world right now that out of nothing consistently back to back to back Champions League games he has been able to create goals. So I don't know if City can go away from home, let Madrid dominate possession. I think they certainly need more control than they had last night. They need to go back to, I don't want to get into a debate about our City boring or exciting or whatever, but just that, you know, a thousand passes per game, control it, uh, not any sort of shock and awe like they had last night. But can you do that in the Bernabeu in a Champions League semi-final away from home? I'm not too sure. It is 20 to 8. You're with us here on OTBAM, which is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Let's tell you what's coming up over the course of the next couple of hours. Champions League, we're going to stick on this for the next little while and then Mark Lawrence will hop on the line at 10 past 8. We'll also preview Liverpool against Villarreal before we're done this morning. Sports page is coming your way at 8.25 this morning. A couple of interesting bits in there, not least Daro O'Shea uh, having a bit of a pop off Cork, calling them a disgrace this morning. We might get producer <coughs> Colin Buig's uh, reaction to that to defend the people of Cork. Uh, what sort of Yeraism is that on? I, I don't know. This is really, uh, this is really uh, avoiding the script, ripping up the script, and and uh, giving Cork a little bit more petrol for their uh, sense of trying to take Harry down in a couple of weeks. Uh, we've got the news update with uh, Cahill a little bit later on. And uh, have you seen coming up at uh, ten to nine, which is on McCarthy's Park? Matt Williams. Then we we'll be talking rugby at ten past nine, and then some OTB reaction from half past nine uh, Johnny you were out and about last night how did you manage to, to watch? you watched this in chunks I understand yeah, last night. watched uh, was at the low gig uh, Vicker Street felt very old um, people most people there seem to be like 50 odd um, so they're they're going on uh, felt very young I would have thought if that's the average age yeah but you're looking around you're like yeah um, everyone has beers here like and uh, and so on and so forth um, watch the first what's, half what, what, what sort of gig are you going to where they wouldn't have beards Every, yeah, everyone everyone has beers and, and, and like grey beards as well um, but I watched the first half in a new bar Dudley's and then uh, watched the second half and I came back like you and just put it on um, and it was just like you couldn't take your eyes off it it was like how how Man City like what was the XG in that game like it certainly wasn't four three and it was I don't know I par, part of me doesn't want them at all to succeed in anything just the way the club is structured and I certainly hope they they don't win the Champions League and you're just looking at these like um, Real players who probably should be past it at this stage but can still do it and I don't know you, you can see Guardiola that he's like you know this this should this should be home and hosed and it's not and. 
Yeah. Would you believe the XG if we're rounding up and down? It was actually 3-2 last night. XG? I don't know how that happened. Okay. Uh, it, it, Man City were 3.08. Real Madrid were 1.66. Yeah. Uh, according to the XG philosophy on Twitter. How was your evening? Very good. I was at Metronomy at the Olympia. Unfortunately, I didn't get the first half in before the game. Yeah. I saw 2-0 and I was like, grand. This is this is a highlights package. You'll be able to get a good sense of things. And then when I saw 4-3, I was like, right, I'm going to have to watch the full 90 when I get home. But, I mean, as, well, as I said, absolutely. It's, it, the funny thing was Real, like, they, they shouldn't be able to do this. But even, I don't know, Nathan, at 2-0, you're kind of like, nah, this just still could be a little bit of a twist to this. Like, In one way, but City were creating so many chances, it felt inevitable they were going to get a third. It was just that we have seen Real Madrid do it so many, so many times. And it wasn't as if they got back into the game by getting a stranglehold on it. It was just one brilliant delivery, a sensational finish from Benzema that got them there. But there is something innate in Real Madrid that they can they can hang about. Like if they were to somehow win the Champions League this season uh, to go and beat Man City and then Real or Liverpool. Like, it'll be up there with one of the great managerial achievements from Carlo Ancelotti, who, you know, on this show has questioned quite a bit yeah. uh, about just how good he is as a manager. And, like, last night sums him up. Like, was there anything about last night's performance in Real Madrid that you would say, you know what, tactically, Carlo Ancelotti got it spot on last night? Not really. Like, Manchester City were absolutely rampant with the way that Real Madrid set up. But they have enough talent in players that shouldn't have the talent they still have at that age in Modric and Benzema in particular and the bit of pace of Vinicius and Rodrigo and Tofetti Valverde was excellent last night, maybe their best player consistently on the pitch. But somehow he always seems to have a group of players who just get a job done from. But you know, could any manager have done that last night? I'm not, I don't know. Like That's the... The genius in many ways of Ancelotti. Ancelotti always feels like as well that everything happens to him by accident. That he's just standing there and all the chaos is ensuing around him and he's kind of like shrugging his shoulders almost like, what can I do about it? Like, it's, it's, it's up to you. And like, obviously that's not the reality of, of what Ancelotti has done. Like, I mean, he, he could go in and win a Champions League title in the 2020s, having won one in the 80s, 90s, 2000s. It would be it'd be an extraordinary career. Like and, and Nathan, when you mentioned there the I guess the slander of Ancelotti that's been on this show in the past, like I'm I'm not sure who even that is. Like what's what's your personal take on it? Like and and how many current managers would you have ahead of him in terms of the, the great European managers? In terms of uh European history or just right now? Like if <laughs> are you giving him well he has one of the biggest jobs. Different managers have different ways and like Pep Guardiola couldn't be more the opposite on the sideline than Carlo Ancelotti's. You see, Ancelotti's reaction to everything is nothing to do with me, both the good <laughs> and the bad. It's not like he's trying to claim credit for, for the good stuff either, it seems. Whereas Guardiola is you know, pulling the strings. I, I always go back to watching Manchester City, Manchester United about four years ago, and I spent the whole game pretty much watching Guardiola was sitting right behind them. Like and the Danilo was playing right back. Well, yes, Damien Duff-Shelburne, of course. Uh, he was Danilo was playing it right back. It was the game where City were about to win the league and United came back. Pogba, probably his best game in United jersey. But Danilo stood right in front of Pep Guardiola. And I don't think he did a single thing in that first half that Pep Guardiola didn't tell him to do. So he stood there and he waited almost ready to pounce and he'd be in the sprinter's position, ready to run up the wing. And he would rate from the shout from Guardiola to go. Like that's how hands-on he was. That whether it was a lack of trust in the player or a tactic that was there, but everything he did, it was the manager telling him in every moment to do it. And that's not 
that's not what a coach should do. Like that, but that's not what well, a coach should do. You know, and that's kind of the mad thing about him. Like you know, the, basically the coach should like be able to sit off and do very little. And even even at League of Ireland level, it's interesting to observe the difference. Like I was at the Rovers in the off game recently. Stephen Bradley and Stephen O'Donnell totally different. Stephen O'Donnell would be more living at all. Bradley's just taken. Like you should trust your players to basically know what to do in a game situation. Gee, Stephen O'Donnell really lives at all. He does. <laughs> he just but he's, by, like. he, he just like he's. And you can see he's he's not that long from like being a player himself. And when when you make the wrong pass or you don't like um, do exactly what he would have done in that situation, you can see that frustration. And for me, that was exactly like that with um, the Mares Foden thing last night. Where Guardiola is like, "How do you not square the ball? It's the most obvious thing ever." But does it make a difference? And you know, if we had a former player on, and I think we've spoken about this before with Kilban, who would feel that you know players once the game is on take little or no notice of what the manager is saying on the sideline or doing on the sideline. But you certainly don't want the manager sort of making a fool of himself on the sideline at, at the same time. Uh, like Guardiola is different. He obviously had a lack of trust maybe in that player. But I do think, you know, if you're losing it, absolutely losing it on the sideline at a player consistently can't but affect him in some way. So, sorry, mm-hmm. go back to the original point. Ancelotti clearly has a way of managing of managing players, maybe more than coaching players, and being able to allow them perform in the best possible manner. So he's always going to get big jobs. Is he suited to Everton? Was he suited to Everton? I'm not quite sure. It doesn't seem like he possibly was, but you know, is he in that circle of just going from Real Madrid and maybe someday he'll end up at Juventus? Like he's never going to be stuck for cash. He's never going to be stuck for a job. Yeah. But is he going to come in and transform a side? It definitely, it definitely feels a very Madrid have like stumbled upon a couple of managers who are perfect for that dressing room from Zidane to Ancelotti and it could end up being the exact same outcome in terms of winning the Champions League. There's been a big reaction obviously to, to what's happening just before you come back in there Nathan. Michael says very enjoyable game but lack of any defence was frustrating. Shifty Lad says Kenny Cunningham would need counselling after that match. Michael Collins says City will regret not putting this game beyond Real Madrid last night. If they get Casemiro back, then they have a real chance, excuse the pun, in Madrid. And MJ Maloney once has a core City go there and dominate. Didn't Chelsea go there two weeks and better them and should have gone through? City are a far better side. City will go there and win easily. Uh, do you share that level of confidence, Nathan? Well, they should do. On the basis of last night's performance, and as that texture said, on the basis that they're a far better side than Chelsea are, they should. It would, wouldn't be a shock in any way. It would be very much along the form lines of the talent in the two squads of City went there and won well. But that ain't how this works. That is not how this works, and it hasn't been how it's worked for Manchester City throughout the Champions League recent history or for Real Madrid. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if we have more of the same again next week. It's a, it's a failure of Guardiola if they don't get through this because they're, just a, they're a far better team than Real. They have like... Um, is it though? Yeah, it is because this is like you can you can see on the sideline last night he's kind of losing the plot a bit like that. This game isn't over and done with. Um, they should be winning this game. Simple as they should be. But who who do you blame for them not being out of the sight last night? You can't blame Guardiola for that, really. But n- not last night. But they have two legs, so just go over there and get the job done. Like Liverpool would get the job done against Real Madrid, no problem. Like they would literally just win this game because that's what they do. Like so, Man City. The whole situation with Guardiola is that like they okay they will win the league. Um, 
you know, every other year, if they don't win it this year, they should win the Champions League under his watch. And if they don't do it this year, he, he feels that I think they should do it. And like, they should be winning this game. They've better resources, they've better players. Like, they can see the three goals at home against Real Madrid. It, it was quite funny last night that immediately after Pep gets booked, Real Madrid go and score. Like, I'm not sure it has a, a, like a, a real impact at all. I don't think Fernandinho is suddenly going to become fast if Pep Guardiola uh, doesn't get booked in that moment. But I, I think, like, other than that, there's. I don't think there's very much you could look at from Pep last night. Like as when you could very much make the case that the Fernandinho thing after he gets that assist is something that worked out and is a bit of a masterstroke. Mm. Of course, I mean the other side of things maybe go against him. So maybe they're, they're a goal up going to they're, they're a goal up going to Madrid. Just get the job done. Like simple as yeah. Yeah, like I, we, like we have to see how it plays out. I think there mm. have been a very specific moments over the last couple of years where you're like, that's clearly your fault, Pep. Mm. But I think from the first half of this game, from this two-legged tie, I think you can say, it, you'd be clutching at straws, I think, to say yeah. this is Pep's fault. But in a wider sense, of course it'd be a failure of Pep's tenure if he wasn't to win a Champions League with the squad that he has, with the resources that they have, and, and some of the positions that they've been in as well, in, in some of these, these big ties. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see what happens uh, who was the best player in the pitch last night Nathan in, in your view oh De Bruyne I think yeah I, again I, I just feel his game has gone to another level over, over the last few weeks the match against Liverpool uh, even if you think back and there were similar moments last night think back to that late late chance that Riyad Mahrez had against Liverpool like De Bruyne is driving through the middle was a Van Dijk who was all over the back of him and he still had the strength to be able to hold him off to be able to lift his head, to be able to pick out this otherworldly pass. And he did that time and time again last night. So, listen, De Bruyne, it's no shock that he is one of the best players in the world. But he is doing it in the biggest games and being the outstanding player in a pitch full of outstanding players, uh, which is a difficult thing to do. I still, like, I still look at Phil Foden every time I see him and go, it's almost because he's at Manchester City and they've so many good players and they don't rely on him in some ways that you you know you don't look at Manchester City and think well if Phil Foden doesn't turn up Manchester City won't be able to win a game uh, that we haven't fully come around to appreciating his genius like he might well be the best young footballer in world football uh, it's not a it's not a startling uh, a revelation to say such a thing but he is a big game player every big match already for City he starts and he performs and he has an unbelievable ability to just keep hold of the ball off balance, under pressure, tight angles, like his close control. Again, go back to that Liverpool game and go back because it was sat watching it at the stadium and you're kind of noticing things off the ball. But he didn't get involved in the game even as much as City would have wanted. But every time he got it, he did the right thing. And he'll try a trick. He'll have that little bit of confidence. Like at 21 to be doing it at that level. You, know, you don't want to get into wild predictions, but you know, he could well be talking about English football's greatest ever player if he keeps going at the rate he's going at. Like, and I, I think that whenever Manchester City put in a performance like they did last night, you, you start to wonder, you know, has Pep Guardiola finally settled on his first choice front three? And, and it's hard to hard to suggest that like Maris, Jesus and Foden wouldn't do the job in the Bernabeu. And I wonder, has the last two games of football for Gabriel Jesus completely changed how, or slightly changed how Manchester City view his future at the club? I wonder, I wonder, would he have started last night if he hadn't scored the fourth weekend? I don't know if he hadn't started, you know, he did. And then he scored twice last night. Uh, I you just can't see Pep not doing something at the Bernabeu. That's, you know, maybe Sterling will come in and play on the left and Foden will play at the false nine. Or maybe De Bruyne plays in a more advanced role and Gundogan comes in and 
something will happen, something will change. Is he going to stick with that front three of Marius, Jesus and Foden? He never does it. He never just sticks with the same front three. So that does feel like their best front three. It's the more orthodox front three. It's the more uh, sort of boring, straightforward front three in a way of Marius naturally on the right, Foden naturally on the left and Jesus, you know, is a goal scorer and a poacher and just plays through the middle. Uh, but that's never how Pep looks at it. Uh, Mark Johnson's been in touch to say City spend billions and score lots of goals but God they can't defend for their lives they are overrated how can they be the best team where they have no defence Liverpool have it perfect they have an unbelievable defence <laughs> like this crit- goals happen in games you see the exact same criticism of Liverpool defensively with the high line and how they get caught out and how can a team with that quality of defenders like, that's football it's not just straightforward and running in straight lines and a simple thing. Like teams are always going to create opportunities. You're playing Real Madrid. Yes, Manchester City have a deeper squad and have more resources right now and should win that game. This is a Champions League semi-final. You're always going to give up opportunities. Like you give up that opportunity against Burnley. You know, Valt Veghurst probably doesn't stick it away. But mm. Karim Benzema sticks it away. Like that's the level you're playing at. And yeah, they were way more open last night than you would expect from Manchester City. But a defence of Ruben Diaz and Emerton Porter, maybe it, under, you know, it, it, it just shows the importance of the full-backs that he has settled on, of, of having Walker at right-back and Cancelo at left-back, even though I think Zinchenko is brilliant. But having the two of them and their ability to move into midfield and the support they give midfield, maybe that closes all of that down and Stones and Zinchenko don't offer that. And that gives a bit more protection to the back too. But it's a Champions League semi-final. You're always going to give up chances. So to say that they're weak defensively is... An absolute nonsense. Yeah, it's the second leg. They should be able to manage its second leg defensively because, like, they can. They'll be stepping back a bit and playing it on the break, and that's that's where you get it done. Like for last night, they're a goal up. Um, it was a mad game, but the second leg, just like be be, be you know be 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 assured at the back and basically be able to hit them on the break, and they should be able to win the game. I, I think that's just like the perfect recipe for there to be a complete bottle job for Manchester City. <laughs> the, the, the first the first few minutes, you're like. Mm, this does not feel like yeah. you're on the front foot like the last game. And that's why... You can see the photo now, can't you? After Real Madrid win the second leg, which will be... Man- it'll be a photo from last night. Manchester City are leading 2-0. Riyad Mahrez is clear through and goal with Phil Foden free in the middle. And it's how did Manchester City conspire to lose this yeah. like in this position? Things you love to see. That's like the Sterling Leon opportunity, really, isn't it? That that screenshot mm. that that does the rounds, or, or Sterling celebrating against Tottenham in uh, 2019. That the sort of uh, photos that happen before unfortunate events happen, and Manchester City have been in a hell of a lot of them. Just before we move on to, to Liverpool, just to like pay tribute to, to Karen Benzema, uh, like uh, after his um, after the game last night, he was talking about the Penenka and he says, I always have it in my head that if you don't take a penalty, you will never miss a penalty. That's my mental confidence and that's all. I have a lot of confidence in myself. And I kind of felt that, you know, he got a laser to the face while stepping up to the penalty. And I think it was at that moment that he decided, I'm going to Penenka this. I'm like, screw you, Manchester City fan with the laser. I'm going to try and do this in the most embarrassing way possible. The quality of his first strike is like, it's it's just like, I mean, you just, like, what he's doing, Nathan, at at his age, and like, at a a time when the game is slipping away from them, that first strike is just like, amazing technique. He's at that level that, few players get to that everything seems to slow down when he's around that it makes it look so so simple and it's not just his finishing it's his all-round play how he can make the ball stick like, again the confidence he has to try a little back heel or a little flick in a dangerous position and for it to come off all the time and then to try a Penenka, considering you know missing his last couple of penalties 
uh, someone said, is it a full Penenka if the ball isn't dipping by the time it hits the goal? Like, he, he, did, he did give it a fair belt for yeah. Penenka. It was one of those just under the crossbar uh, type jobs. But I, we've gone so deep into football analysis in recent years. Like, a penalty is no longer just a penalty. We want the entire thought process of. So, Would he have tried early. it under Guardiola? Oh yeah, I think I think Benenza would have, mm. uh, Benenza uh, Benzema would have Benenza. tried it under any manager. Uh, Maybe like this is like beside the point here. But like, is it really difficult to aim a laser at someone because it like hits his face beforehand and it's like okay, well, this is going to happen for the penalty, and then the laser just disappears. Is the guy in the crowd like aiming wildly and actually just can't find him before taking the strike? I don't know how far away he's. Like, if you have one hundred and fifty of them in 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 an African game, maybe it's a little bit different. But um, didn't put him off anyway. No, certainly when not. did lasers come back into fashion? Yeah, because Johnny. When we were in school, do you remember when? I'm, I'm saying because obviously we're from a different generation to our own. Our uh, Irish teacher used to have like used to be able to oh, the back oh, of the head, man. on the back of the head all day. Could um, could, could your Irish teacher have stuck away at Penenka after such an incident? Under that sort of pressure? No, no, he wasn't able for the pressure of the laser on the the board. So no, I don't think so. Mm. Um, Liverpool tonight. Nathan, uh, are you like? There's been this interesting kind of uh, narrative about uh, Liverpool won't underestimate Villarreal uh, the way the previous two giants who've been taken out by Villarreal underestimated them. Are we sure that's what happened in the last two rounds, though? That Villarreal just got underestimated. Like I'm sure there's a degree of that, but are we not looking at Unai Emery, who's actually uh, deep down a bit of a genius when it comes to figuring out these one-off games? I guess over two legs, but still, he's he's proven himself over the last two rounds. Yeah, I think there's. Uh got to be a bit of respect given to Real if you get to a Champions League semi-final and you'd question the mentality of the players in previous rounds if they're underestimating in you know, a Champions League last 16 or quarter-final what a team can bring uh, on paper as Johnny said these are the sort of games Liverpool win been at home in the first leg you know, is it quite the magical Anfield night but if they can get an early goal like they have shown over the last week they can sort of win anyway they come out against Manchester United, like two games against almost similar tonight with less emotion, but the last two games where you look at Manchester United and Everton, two matches they really should win, but you think it's United and Everton. Something will happen. And they just come out and absolutely blitz Manchester United from the first minute, never give them a sniff. And then they go up against Everton, who make it an absolute dogfight uh, and a real scrap and a messy game. And they just stay patient and they use the depth that they have and they make the changes off the bench and they're able to do it that way. So it does feel as though they're in a very good place right now that whatever Villarreal bring tonight, that Liverpool will have an answer for it, whether it's in the starting eleven or whether it's it's off the bench. But are you going to sit here and say that Liverpool are going to have this done after the first leg? I, I don't think so. Like That's not how Villarreal is set up. Like they, they, they are the underdogs. They're used to being the underdogs. They're used to having teams come, dominate possession, expect to win games. So... It could end up in a little bit tighter than than people expect. Column's just making the point in my ear here that Unai Emery is Porto era Jose Mourinho. Uh, like I think he's uh, like I mean it's no it's, it's no it's not he's not he's not he's not in any way in that well that's the only comparison because firstly you know Jose Mourinho was the new kid on the block uh, even he came up in Sky Sports. Uh, Premier League seasons yesterday and you're still looking back at Jose in his first press conference and the charisma just oozing off like what a bloody good looking man he was there still is but you know nearly 20 years ago 
He just comes in and you know changes English football. But that Porto team also had a group of players who were at an age that they were all going to kick on and go around Europe and go to Chelsea and be major players in European football over the next five, ten years. Uh, this Villarreal side is at a slightly different stage. Yes, some of them, I'm sure, will move on during the summer. But there's a lot of good, hardened professionals in there as well who are at a slightly later stage of their career who can, you know, who will they all go during the summer? I don't think so. So I, I don't know if that's a if that's a real comparison. Europa League, Champions League is just this uh, clarification there. Also, okay. I mean, who are you to say that Unai Emery isn't a, isn't a handsome man? I would never cast aspersions in any other man. Uh, Connor Joyce says, how do you know it was a man with a laser? Uh, he asks, I don't. It's a very good point. Yeah, if you watch uh, watch all the uh, the FBI file shows, it's always a man who commits to crime. But um, in fairness, Ancelotti, like Nathan, like you mentioned, like Mourinho, Ancelotti at his age has evolved and can still manage the dressing room. Whereas you, you look at Mourinho and you compare him to that port, those Porter days, and it's like, well, you you didn't change enough. No, but again, you're like Ancelotti seems to be a very different type of character from most modern managers in that he never gets massively emotional like Jose still just can't help himself against getting caught up in it either referees opposition his own players uh, whereas actually maybe just been a bit more solid relaxed chilled out is how you keep going into your 60s because it does feel a bit sad now when you see Mourinho mm. he pops up after another Roma game and he's doing the same things he's gone like, where's that guy gone even even at his worst even at his worst at Chelsea or at Real Madrid when he was up to no good just still there's still something there about Mourinho that was was captivating, that was quite likable, that was a bit of a rogue, whereas now it's all got a little bit boring. Yeah. Like, a, it's, like, is there a case to be made that then when Pep and Klopp are kind of done with their current Manchester City and Liverpool jobs respectively, there's just a stage where they're like, I'm kind of done with this because, you know... Fight climate change. Fight climate change could be a good start, but they just might find that their high-octane, high-energy style of management is, you know, you get to a certain age and it's like, okay, going to park that. Well, Pep's done it before and stepped away, and you'd expect when he leaves City that he'll, you know, step away again for a couple of years before. Like these guys can't give it up. Yeah. Well, you do. I, 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 like, one thing I never understand in football, like Stephen Gerrard and Frank Lampard, I just can't understand it. Yeah. Like, I cannot understand why Frank Lampard is managing Everton. Like he has it all. He has all the money he'll ever need. He's one of English football's greatest ever players. It's somehow he needs to put himself through this, and it's going to end in failure. Like, nice life. It's going to end in like nine, like nine out of ten managerial careers. Essentially, they get, they get sacked, and that's their last job. Like, so why would you do it? Like, there's so much else going on in the world. Why would you get immersed in this? It's just some sort of weird addiction. But also, like the appeal to add to your legacy, like if. Frank Lampard. Frank Lampard's getting into management because he but thinks he's never going to add to his legacy. No, but he yeah. thinks there's he nothing thinks he Frank can. Lampard can do now that is going to add to his legacy. Maybe at the start when he got the Chelsea gig and you win the Champions League in Europe. Yeah, you know, suddenly you're past John Terry as their greatest ever legend. But now to go to Everton, like, is he a hero around Everton because he saves them from relegation on the last day of the season? I don't know if he is. No, but you, he's, he's seeing that as a stepping stone back to the top, to the big time, and like he, it, it's not about what the the reality is. It's about what these guys think they can achieve. And I mean, they didn't get to where they were in football without thinking that they were 
the absolute best around. It's it's the thinking as well though. Like if you're if you're like the wife of like Guardiola and or Klopp or these characters, like I mean, what sort of life is that? Like, do they think about anything else in the whole day other than the next game or the last game or football? Like it's. It's but they don't have time. They don't yeah. have time. I, I, I noticed that after the Liverpool match at Guardiola's press conference. When you sit down and think about it, he was talking about the intensity of the calendar. And they played Liverpool on the Sunday evening. And they were playing Champions League on the Wednesday. And you think, like, this mm. is a massive game. So they barely have a training session on the Monday. But you suddenly have to prep for that. You travel to the match on the Tuesday. You play Wednesday. Then they were back playing again in the Premier League on Saturday. Like, you Never mind... You know, think about life outside. You, you never get a day off. You never get every single hour, every minute. None of them can be wasted because of the intensity of the calendar and the importance of the game. So, yeah, how how they switch off, how they somehow stay mentally stable under that level of pressure, I have no idea. Donny OD88 has been in touch asking, has Johnny mentioned Gavin Bazunu or the League of Ireland yet? Uh, we still have time. Just, yeah. yeah. Anything, um, anything to say about Bazunu or the League of Ireland? Um, he missed out on the team of the year actually, Bazuna in League One, which I thought was um, surprising because I, I would have imagined he was he was the best uh, keeper in the league. Um, interesting point, Nathan, as your father will know well about Shivan Rovers. Gavin Bazuna actually played in Kaline, um, played for Shamrock Rovers underage in a game in Kaline uh, in the Shivan wow. Rovers pitch. Yeah, so I was. I think you're going to build a statue in his honour. Probably will. Yeah, um, I was there for his debut as well against Bray when kind of I think the whole Shamrock Rovers story changed when they put the 16 year old kid in goal and he saved that penalty against uh, Sadler in uh, Cork and um, I don't know we've we've uh, we're in a good place in terms of our defenders and our goalkeeper for the time being I think anyway for sure is is there LOI late night coming your way this Friday there is Nathan, I've, I've been off the last two Fridays I've been off the last two Fridays uh, so we've left Johnny and Shane I, I I think there's no real reason for me to return just to go back to relaxing on a uh, on a Friday night but uh, yeah we're going to be back uh, it's a pretty the League of Ireland calendar uh, is you know it like everything else is uh, a bit screwed up in that there's so many games at the start of the season and I was looking at the Shamrock Rovers fixture list uh, sort of trying to plan out uh, for the kids as to when and where we're going to game so they're away this week um Rovers, but then they've got three home games in the space of seven days against Finn Harp, Sligo, and Derry, and then over the next two months they've got two home matches. Like, yeah, how clubs are meant to try and flourish when that's how your fixture list works out? I'm never quite sure, and like they're not alone. Most clubs are in that sort of scenario. So from what I think is the 13th of May all the way through to the 22nd of July. Two home matches. There, there, there is a wider point here in that um, you now have like billionaires getting involved in investing in the League of Ireland, whether that's for like the reasons of making money or for something else. If you have like the Comers are going to take over Galway United in terms of um, an eighty-five percent stake. You Philip O'Darty and Derry, and you've Dermot Desmond. Uh, I think he owns a quarter of Shamrock Rovers, um, and there's probably never been a better time to invest. And Nathan will attest to this as well. Tala is becoming like. Um, I don't know, Nathan. It feels like a something different in the League of Ireland. You go there now and you just expect six, seven thousand people are to be sold out. It's a nice stadium. You expect a very good quality of football. A lot of kids there, and the League of Ireland is, I guess, that's where it wants to be. Yeah, and listen, as I'm sure all supporters of other clubs are ready uh, to get in touch, Shamrock Rovers Stadium. You know, was there because of a partnership, a mm. government partnership. You could say they were handed the stadium. 
But more clubs need to be handed stadiums. More clubs need to be given facilities because people will go if the facilities are there. And there were some stats out yesterday. I think, uh, was it a somebody up north, Johnny, who was tweeting, look what Niall Quinn has done for the League of Ireland with the rise in average attendance over the last couple of years. But the rise in average attendance from 2017, 2018 to now is clubs, every club pretty much doubling their average attendance. So people are buying in. And I think they're buying in not because of yeah, I don't think quality of football is ever a factor or will ever be a driving factor in why people go. I wouldn't agree with Ireland. that. No. I, I, I don't think so because like, the quality of football is is good, but I don't think that can be the selling point because, you know, you've got right Is that not door. the whole point, though? Like, I mean, well... Like, no, I think it's to go... Like, fo- fo- you can have a good, entertaining game of football without it being the same quality as a, a Premier League match. I think but, people want to go and enjoy a match, be entertained, see some goals, but also go and have a, a decent seat be able to go and buy something at halftime. Uh, they, they just want to go and have a night out. So, yeah, like, I, 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 I don't know about that though. Like, if you, if, if you're fed on a diet of you know the endless TV, um, Premier League, and everything else, like I don't think like the League of Ireland, the quality of the football in terms of the entertainment spectacle has gone way, way up. And I'm not sure you could get away with it if it weren't. I don't know. Has it? Oh, like, is the quality? I think I think it's got better because oh, football when, when naturally I, has when, got better. Yeah, there is, there is and that teams as well. Now play far more football. You know, there's far less just hoofing it up. You know, unless you go down Moscow United, maybe. But most teams now are keeping it on the ground, uh, playing a decent bit of ball. Uh, but I, 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 what I'm saying is that you can't. It's not. It's obviously never going to be comparable to the quality you will see on a Tuesday night in the Champions League. I think it needs. What it needs as a selling point is something else. The football will take care of itself. It needs to be, whether it's that community side of it or just making it a good Friday night, which I think is what a lot of people have done. Like Friday night's now or League of Ireland night. It's something to do that's not going to the pub. You know you'll have a bit of crack. You know you'll see a decent game of football. You'll have the opportunity to see players who in two, three years' time be able to tell your mates, oh, I remember watching him, as Johnny just said, down in Shivan Rovers. Uh, and now he's a superstar. So... I think they're the things that... You can relate to it as well. Out. Like, it was, I watched the game with Adrian Taff last night. It was the LMFM commentaries for Ed and Doc. He's saying, like, I'm a Man United fan, but, like, I just... I can't relate to this anymore. Like, when you go to League of Ireland game, you might meet them on the street. They're they're not on massive money. Like, um, you know, they're probably struggling to get a mortgage. Um, I can relate to these players, and, like, it means something to me. Being a Manchester United fan is probably half the problem in terms of not being able to relate <laughs> to a team, to be fair. Uh, Nathan, good stuff this morning. Thanks, million. Thanks, lads.